Hey, Ace, save your lip for the horn. The boss liked me right from the start. Me, I like the canary. I liked her a lot. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now, this is going to take several years, as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's let's get get started. But a couple wonderful things in this scene that are my favorite things. Sybil's face change on the line. Yes, she's become quite an actress. Sybil has a whole face change during that moment, which is great to watch. Wonderful acting. And when the music ends and Rita reaches to take the needle off the record, the little touch that Zach gives her on the arm. Mm. Well, Jerry's not noticing. And then... Zach and Rita catch eyes and hold eyes and there's a lot of chemistry going on there and they both cut but a knowing look about what's coming but that little look that he touches her on the arm yes is that wonderful love that the whole the whole scene without saying anything it's just the body movements and yeah so good they're the little touches and the little looks mm. and they're totally in character but I always think of that little touch as like Sybil and Bruce as well <laughs> somehow but not that I think they're breaking character at all. The lighting and the shadows of the murder. Yeah. Great shot. Very film noir. The black and white, the shadow, the deviousness of it, the darkness. It's so well done, just like the old movies. And the way they did it too, to show him donging him on the head with the clarinet and Sybil's reaction. Yeah. Because she, and- she wasn't sure whether she wanted this to happen. Yes, like she wants to be with Zach and she loves Jerry, but he's just walking her down the path. You know, this is going to happen. This is the way it has to be. And he's even telling Jerry that. And then the murder happens in the shadow, right? You see the shadow portrayed on the wall behind her. So we're not even actually watching him do it, but we see it in the shadow on the wall, which is Mm. really cool way to do it. And yes, Rita's face. And then they get the signal. Yeah, Mr. Potter sends a signal and... This is when he's a bit nasty to her. He's saying, hit the yeah. lights. And, of course, she's still in shock. And he's going, I said, hit the lights. 
Yeah. Mr. Potter's waiting and he's looking and then he realises, oh, good, got the signal, so that's all good. But this part, see, this is important too, this change where he says, hit the lights. I said hit the lights. It's almost like this is the change in their relationship now. Now it's like Jerry's gone, clear path to Rita, and it's almost like from this point on he doesn't want her anymore. So that's the shift in the relationship again. Once Jerry's out of the way, he knows that he can have Rita, no problem. And yeah, he, he, like you say, he kind of turns nasty, yeah. especially with what's coming. It's funny. One stroke of the clarinet, everything changes. Yeah. It's like you only want what you can't get. Now that I've got it, I don't want it now. Exactly. It's exactly like that. I love this scene because there's a goof. When they drag Jerry's body onto the catwalk, So Zach is walking backwards, dragging Jerry, and Rita must be carrying his feet, I think, and you see the back of her head. Now, it's clearly not Sybil because this person is wearing this wig that is so short that it really doesn't match her hair. Then there's a cut from the other side, and I'm pretty sure they're barefoot. Oh, really? when, When they put the clarinet on the ground. I had to zoom in a little bit, but I'm pretty sure. Sybil? Or the The, the person double? that's acting like Sybil. Oh, they're Sorry, barefoot. the person that's dressed as Rita is barefoot. If they're barefoot, probably is Sybil. Yeah, it wasn't. No, the hair was wrong. Again, the hair was wrong. That's funny. Yeah, so they place the body. They place the clarinet with the body, and they have a show. So they go to the show, and again, through the music, the music goes along with what's happening in their relationship. So Zach and Rita come down the stairs and Sloan and Potter are wondering where Jerry is. So they're just standing behind them. And, of course, she's looking at Zach going, right? Now, Rita is just standing right there. Why don't they say, hey, Rita, where's Jerry? Yes, I know, exactly. They just came from up there, so they must figure they know where Jerry is. And Zach is just lighting a cigarette and smug as hell. So you're right. She starts singing the number. She's singing it really sad. Zach's looking up for Jerry to fall. And it's funny because they keep showing Zach looking up at Jerry to hurry up to fall. But then there's another cut of Bruce looking up at the camera. So he's there with his cornet and the camera is right above him and he's looking up. So he's actually looking the wrong direction because Mm. (laughs) Jerry was actually askew to his position. It it wasn't directly up. So I thought that was funny. And Rita is starting to lose her will to sing. You know, I mean, she's starting to really fade and he has to use the music. You know, he stands up and takes over the song to pick her up. And then you see Mr. Potter and that guy tugging at the rope. And the guy that's tugging the rope with him is just the perfect look of the 40s. He's got the big mo (laughs) and he's dressed in the 40s attire. I always notice this guy. I don't know why, but he's unaccredited, but. Yeah, has the perfect look. Finally, the body falls and everyone screams and the camera zooms quickly into Sybil's face and she's just screaming and screaming and screaming. I slow-mode this scene, <laughs> as I do. Yeah, what did you find? For me, the person that fell off was an actual stuntman. Mm. But the, the wide shot where you see the dummy coming down it's so yeah. fast. So when it lands, you can see it's a dummy because it's like a soft teddy dropping. Like a stuffed body or something like that. Yeah. And they pushed in on Sybil. 
screaming. Screaming, <laughs> yep, which she is very good at. And that's yeah. the end of that scene. Yeah, it takes us to her in her apartment morning. Yeah, she's crying on her couch. Agnes is looking after her. She gives Rita some pills. I love the 40s decor here and Agnes's outfit. Yep. Really like the decor here. And then yep. there's a knock at the door. There's a nice piano playing music in the background here while that's happening. Lieutenant Matthews arrives and has a chat with Rita and says, oh, yeah, it looks like it was an accident. The catwalk gave way. But it's funny because when he arrives, they've done that half-lit face mm. again as he arrives. Uh, yeah. They talk about if he had a life insurance policy. And I think this is a great part of the plot where she says, well, he loved that clarinet. He goes, well, it was dented. So why would he go to a show with a dented clarinet? And she said, well, it must have dented in the fall. He goes, the clarinet didn't fall. <laughs> what a great part of the plot. I really like that. If it wasn't for that, they probably would have gotten away with it. Because it would have been dented in the fall. But because it didn't, they obviously didn't place it in the right spot for it to happen. It's a great scene. I love the lampshades, the old 40s lampshades and the thunderstorm in the background. That You know, it was so Yeah, good. the use of weather, that's, that's an important change as well. Yeah, the, when a storm is brewing, nothing good is coming next in the plot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, yeah, he came. And then um, is there like an indication that some time has passed and then there's a knock on the door again and it's the cops yeah, there to... Pause. This yeah. is not her apartment. This is her dressing room. Oh, does it go to her dressing room? Never got that. Yeah. The reason I know that is she's at the makeup table. And mm. when they leave in the rain, they're in that spot where she kissed him. Yeah, I never even thought about that. And one thing I forgot to check, because I've written here same style with a question mark, her makeup table looked like it was the same style as the broken makeup table at the start. Mm. I love the look of the, as I've said before in previous episodes, water and thunder and lightning always is a great effect in movies and TV. They walk in with their hats with the plastic covers <laughs> so they don't get wet. <laughs> right, yeah. And I always wait for the smoke in this scene when Lieutenant Matthews comes in and accuses her and he's come there to arrest her and then you see the smoke coming through the doorway and you know Zach's behind the door. Yeah. I love that. I love that touch that the smoke bellows through the door before you see him and he's blamed it all on her. Because if you watch this for the first time, you're thinking, what the hell is that smoke? It's not him. He's not smoking. Right. Oh, yes. So good. That is wonderful. And like you said, I love the rain, the effect, especially in a black and white movie. They walk her out and then she just looks like a drowned rat, you know, mm -hmm. hair is wet. They put her in the back of the car. She's sitting there, head down, and Zach. Yeah. Sorry, dollface. I had to tell them. Now, my question is, I've written here in capital letters, why, with a big question mark, why would he have had to tell them? Probably because they knew there was foul play since the clarinet was dented, so they knew that he was murdered before he dropped. I think that the clarinet gave it all away, and he then blamed it all on her to get away yeah. with it. I guess the police maybe were putting pressure on him, thinking he did it, so he's transferred the yeah. and dobbed yes. her instead. Yeah, they weren't happy. She wanted him gone. He blamed it all on her. Now, how the police would buy the fact that she could 
drag that body out there by herself and hit him, kill him, drag him and everything like how the police would buy that he was scot-free mm. is questionable. But hey, it's the 1940s and I didn't have DNA. Yeah, it was just her word against his and he told the story first and she probably was just still thinking that this will pass and they'll take the money and run. But, you know, the moment he killed, like you were saying, he didn't really want her anymore. Sorry, doll face. And again, I love how they create these transitions and transfers from one yes. scene to another with a sound, this you know, using the windscreen wiper to the record yep. player. Yes, yes. It's so perfect. So perfect. And and also believable that that sound, that repetitive sound would wake you up, you know. It looks like it's gone from day to night now. It's obviously the middle of the night now. She slept for quite a few hours mm. because yeah. David's dead asleep. And, you know, he's not going to bed early. And it's interesting too, the transition, because Rita is in the car. She's all wet because she was in the rain yeah. getting to the car and her face is wet. Then you get to Maddie lying on the couch and she's all sweaty because mm-hmm. she's been dreaming. Yeah, you're right. Yes. So that even the sound and her being kind of sweaty and wet transfers back into their real world. And Rita in the car, she's looking straight at the camera as well. Yes. Gosh, Sybil's just so, so beautiful in all these scenes. So she wakes up and she's kind of a bit like uh, shaken or rattled a little bit. Because she's still half asleep and she takes the needle off the record player, turns off the lamp, and then she's all of a sudden, she's back to where she was before. (laughs) Stop again. Yeah, she's angry again and she realises, oh, I was right. Because of that dream, I I knew that he did it. (laughs) Of course, she has to ring David to tell him that she was right. (laughs) And he's in his bedroom and I remember... Glenn saying that he never really wanted to show where David slept. So it's yeah. a close-up. All you see is sort of a Venetian type of window and a messy bed. <laughs> That's all you see. Yes, but we know it's not the apartment that he lives in later in the series. So it's definitely not in the life of the series where he lived later. So David must have moved at some point. So he answers a phone and he's got a T-shirt, SBVC. I've looked that up before. Santa Barbara volleyball team or something like that. And it's got a, an image of an Indian. Probably their um, mascot. Now, she says, I told you he did it and slams the phone. And it fades out. And then it <laughs> fades in again to David. They don't do that very often. They did the fade in, fade out thing. So it fades out. And then it fades in again to him. And he rings her and he said, did you just call me? Oh, uh, right. Yeah. I, and didn't then even, I didn't even know she knew language like that. Yeah, she must have cursed at him. <laughs> David. <I'm kidding. laughs> I think I'll bleep that out, Shauna. <laughs> and he hangs up and then he he's gonna call her back again. But then he goes, uh, like forget it, you know. And he just drops the phone on the floor, the whole phone, without even putting it back on the cradle. And he falls back on his pillow and, ah, Maddie, life is funny. Maddie, 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 life's funny. Life is funny. And then that transition, life is funny. Another transition which goes straight to black and white and all I've written here is, wow, what a great entrance. Mm. How freaking gorgeous does he look? And the lighting, though. 
I know. You don't see his face. All you see is the side silhouette, no yeah. face, until he comes down the steps. Yeah. He looks amazing. I know, Grace. If we thought he looked good entering in Maddie's part of the dream, they've just upped the ante on both of them, though. Him? Yeah, because you've also got to remember it's his dream. So he's going to make himself look good. Real good. And her sexy as hell. Oh, yeah. Because even the shot of her leaning over the piano, working with the guy and her hair, which is never like this and another scene in Moonlighting, her hair is over uh, one side of her face and the dress, the low cut, the flowers, uh, how it fits her. It's definitely David dreaming. Yes. Isn't it? (laughs) Okay. So when they walk towards each other and they're standing there face to face and they have this dialogue, this is peak moonlighting hotness. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) He's never been hotter. And he's never been hotter. Well, he, he does, to be fair, he does uh, get very hot in the diehard days. But um, at this moment in time, they are exactly the equal number of hotness. Oh, my God. <laughs> Absolutely. They're just yeah. so, 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 so gorgeous yeah. and beautiful. She's just going to watch you plan to use that thing. She had quite a mouth on her, too. Which thing is that? Of course, I wasn't exactly wanting in that department either. <laughs> This sounds like a dialogue from that behind the scenes video again. This is like, this it is exactly does. how it works in real life. <laughs> yeah. So they're both very on point with their banter and they match each other line for line. He's met his match here with Rita. But yeah, just uh, gosh, um, the lighting, the look, the costuming again, the hair. How could this episode not have won every single award at that Emmys the next year? That just, don't get me started. But anyway. I don't get it. It's definitely David's view of how he wants Maddie to be, don't you reckon? Yeah, maybe. Does you know, confident, her- sexy, a bit of an adversary. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, that's true. And the looks they throw at each other again when they're going back and forth and the bantering and all that stuff. And he's like, um, you know, right away, you want to grab a drink later? And she said, should I bring my husband? I love this dialogue. And it's oh fast God. too. <laughs> fast it's hot it's sexy it's everything it's like fire no are you married oh you're married does, does it, it matter? matter it might matter to your husband bugle boy huh sure you want to go for a drink later should i bring my husband you're married does it matter mike to your husband they just banter back and forth like no hesitation and he mm-hmm. loves it you know and they just uh, yeah spark from the beginning of course i mean as we see so it Everything is a lot more instant in David's side of the dream. Everything kind of happens a lot faster. When Zach is walking across the floor when he first enters, Rita looks up and her eye is covered. But yes. then in the next shot, her eyes are uncovered. And she kind of um, her hair yeah, back. Kind of swing, swings her hair back. Yeah. But that first shot of her with the piano, I love it. I love her yeah. hair. I love how she looks. And then yeah. she kind of like looks up and gazes at him across the room. And there's a really good shot of him walking towards the camera and he comes right up to the camera really close. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a yes, great it's... shot of him going, wow, who is this woman? Some dame was exercising her lungs. I put a lot of innuendo, double entendre, freeze them in time here. Yes, very well said. Yes. I actually often look at the piano player. He's clearly not playing the piano. Mm. That's kind of surprising. I'm surprised that they didn't just have someone there playing the piano, but okay. And it's great how she walks away from the piano. She's still singing to the end of her song and 
stops when she meets up with Zach. Yes. She exudes so much. Yeah. I just love the personality changes. She's, oh yeah. Yeah. They're both just great here. Everything, everything about it and everything about the lighting costuming and everything in between. Sloan interrupts him and says, save your lip for the save horn. Save your lip for the horn. Now, another great camera shot of Bruce where Sloan says to him, save your lip for the horn. He looks at Sloan, but then he looks back at Rita and he doesn't move his head. Yes, gosh. Yeah, and he just says, I don't like her a lot. His expression, he was focused on this dame. Hey, Ace, save your lip for the horn. The boss liked me right from the start. Me, I like the canary. I liked her a lot. Yes, like lightning bolt at first sight. So the next scene when they're at their performance, I love the clear personality change from Maddie's side of the dream to David's where Rita's on the piano. She's uber confident, you know, slithers off the piano onto the microphone. And yeah, it's just such a different persona from the Rita in the first one, which is again, you know, must've been so fun to play all these like different change of personality in these different characters. Oh, look, you can tell that they're just having so much fun doing it. And Sybil's in her element singing these old songs because that's, you know, stuff from her era as well. And she looks absolutely divine in this dress. Yeah, slick black dress, beautiful hair. It's uh, sleeveless. Her hourglass frame is perfect for this type of gown. Beautiful, beautiful uh, dress and it really suits her. Yeah, you're right. She's on the piano. She slides off the piano, grabs a microphone, drags it across a couple of feet and starts singing confidence, beautiful voice and a great song. And it's an appropriate song for this character. Yeah. It's like she chews them up and spits them out. Yeah, I think Sybil chose this song. I think this is the song that she wanted to sing. Yes. In my research, I did read that. I think uh, Glenn talked about that in the uh, commentary that it was a bit of a compromise. Like he wanted her to sing Blue Moon. She wanted to sing this one. They probably talked about different choices, but yeah, it's a great pick. This song was written by Herb Ellis, Lou Carter, and Johnny Frigo. Now, the three were part of Jimmy Dorsey's big band. Mm. And he was mentioned earlier by the club yeah, owner. That's true. Um, but they left in 1946. Now, this song was originally recorded in um, October 47, and it was Sybil's suggestion to sing the song after a discussion with jazz critic Leonard Feather. That's okay. Now, you know, a couple other just nuances that just show it's so different from the first dream. When Zach starts playing his, is it, what's he playing here? What's he playing a clarinet? No, what's he playing? It was a cornet. What, what's the difference? I don't even know. The cornet, but he's, now he's playing the trumpet. He should still be playing the cornet. Okay. I don't know the difference between the, the instruments, but you said that there's a difference between like a trumpet and a cornet. Yeah, the cornet's got a longer horn and the trumpet's more okay. of a little chunky fat thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, when Zach kind of takes over the song and starts playing mm-hmm. unrehearsed, it doesn't throw Rita off. She just goes and dances with uh, Mr. Sloan. It just shows just- the difference between the characters, yeah. you know. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. She's just confident. It didn't throw her. She was professional. She kept on going and they started dancing. And that was such a great idea. Yes. And very like much of the time he starts playing and he has a solo and then they time it in the way that she spins back to the microphone. 
throws, does that hair flip. Which Bruce loves. I know, I know. Which Bruce thought when he was watching it was sexy as hell, which I love hearing that, of course, because we just love when the actors are talking about how hot they are, were for each other. Because then, gosh, if we, if we love it between um, the characters on screen, we love it even more between Sybil and Bruce. So the hair flip thing, that was so hot. And it is, you know, and then she even like throws her hair back again and she just plays it up. Everything is just like confident, sexy. I like how in the the lyrics in the song, when she says you can leave on the 518 mm-hmm. and it's the sound of a horn of a train and the orchestra mm-hmm. does that sound and she does yeah. the movements. Yeah. Yes. Everything about it is just wonderful. I think we've got Bruce's ego here playing all the instruments. Yes. He's so confident. He feels like he's the whole band. Yes, I like that touch as well. The other thing I notice in this scene is that Sybil's gloves should go up to above her elbow. But in a lot of the scene, they've fallen down. Oh, okay. They're not where they're supposed to be. Right. Yes. And how is her beautiful, sensuous look at the camera when she goes, for now... Mm -hmm. and she flips her hair back again yeah i love that as well and then it ends with um bruce thinking he's keith moon on the drums (laughs) (laughs) pounding away on those now i zoomed in at the end of the song yeah and i reckon because she curtsies at the end okay and i reckon she's got just black pantyhose on she hasn't got shoes on again again it's amazing she doesn't have her orange Reeboks on. I know. Back in the 1940s, those would have been a real style. Were they Reeboks, those orange ones, or were they another brand? Those were Reeboks, yeah. yeah. She wore, like, um, New Balance a lot, but the orange ones were Reeboks, yeah. And, you know, these 1940s shoes were probably particularly uncomfortable. They're probably tight, mm. you know, you know how simple it is with her shoes. The other thing I noticed, too, right at the end of the song when she's bowing, so the song's over. Okay, the song is over. Yeah. The drummer is still playing behind her. Oh, really? (laughs) But you don't hear the sound? (laughs) No, the song's over. There's no sound whatsoever. People are clapping and she's going like this and she's bowing. And this drummer's going like this. He's having a great time in the background. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, how funny. Hey, Shauna, do you go back and watch the episodes again to notice the goofs that I notice? Yeah, when I'm watching them again, then I'll say, oh, Grace said that there was yeah. something here. And yeah, I'll, I've watched I do it the again. same for you. I do the same for you. So the show's over. Zach's shaking hands with the rest of the musicians about having a great show. And then you see Mr. Potter in front of the camera taking her microphone away. So the camera follows him and it takes you to Rita and Jerry. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he's yelling at her. I don't care what you do. I'll be home when I'm home. And that was really hard for me to watch this character talk like that because in the first half he was such a little sweetie pie. I know. Again, another like big character change. Yeah, he's definitely an asshole in this this one. Does he always talk to you like that? He always talks to me like that. That's his voice. (laughs) He talks to everyone like that. That's his voice. Yeah. But it's like she's so used to him talking like that she doesn't even realize it's mean or that it's rude. This is like a normal conversation for them. She doesn't know any different. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't know any different. And she gets up real close to him too. It's like, it's really what David wants. It's so funny that he's dreaming mm. this, you know? Right. And she goes yeah. right up to him. You were hot tonight. Oh, yeah. She's right in his face. Like, yeah. And like, she leaves her mouth open a little bit. And 
again, you know, the little like sultry, subtle movements mm-hmm. that she does that are just kind of like breeze into him again or something. Yeah, it's, she does the same thing. Yeah, the dialogue and- here is just a couple of words, but it says a lot. Mm-hmm. You too, mm-hmm. you got a great lip. Um, you got to. Yeah, why does he say you've got to? Is he being cheeky there? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, God. Even what? Even- <laughs> whether to edit this out or not Shauna <laughs> I don't think so I don't see any reason I think everyone, everyone at home is thinking the same thing we are oh my god that's so funny yeah yeah like how far does this innuendo go yeah and, and go very um, far drink absolutely eat too yeah everything is so tongue-in-cheek and silly but funny yeah I like the scene because you've got them at the front and then you've got the band set up behind them on a sort of a, on an angle. It's, yeah, it's a really good shot. And then putting their arms around each other and walking away, which, mm. you know, just even as just watching even Sybil and Bruce do that. Yeah, we love it. And they're chatting and she throws her head back and laughs. And, you know, Jerry doesn't give a crap. So, gosh, please, if I were mm. her, go straight mm. off with Zach. All right. So we're back at Zach's apartment. And he's looking hot and he's got his hotel sign in the background, which eventually says hot, not hotel. That was, of course, all framed that way. Looking hot, sweating, playing his horn, horny guy and uh, (laughs) hot hotel. Yes. And in the commentary, Alf Clausen mentions that Bruce was just playing around on that thing. Obviously, he doesn't know how to play it. And he watched it frame by frame and made a tune out of what Bruce pressed. Amazing. Amazing. And you know what? It was a nice little tune. Yeah. I can't believe he did that. I thought it was a nice touch how he's got his foot up on the ledge and he's got holes in his socks. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah. And you notice it after when he walks into the kitchen that he's got big holes in his left foot. Oh, how funny. Yeah. That is a nice touch. Yeah. He's just a musician, you know, broke musician. Rita makes an amazing entrance with her lovely dress and she's got things on her mind. Go straight to it too. Well, he said she smelled of violets and rainy nights, but she also smelled of trouble. She's the instigator and, you know, she's the uh, corrupter in this side of the dream. We're getting our money's worth with these kisses in this episode. All right, we're making up for lost time. Finally, gosh, and finally we get some very hot romance going on. Very steamy. My gosh. I mean, I don't know. I just imagine for Sybil and Bruce, it must have been a bit of a release as well. You know what I mean? Like that you finally get to kind of follow through with some action with these characters because they're always kind of bantering and innuendoing and hinting around it. But finally, there's a little action going on. I think I've mentioned it before, but, um, you know, Rita does something to Zach that I think is a very Sybil thing. And she does it twice in this episode. And she comes in the door and she walks straight towards him. And by the way, it always bugs me that the door doesn't close all the way. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. It's like, close the door. But anyway, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> just go, close the door. But anyway, she goes straight to him. The curtain is there and you can't really see it. But from his head movement, you can tell. Her hand goes to the back of Bruce's head. She takes his hair and yanks his head back. I love it. <laughs> I know it's so hot and sexy. It's like, this has got to be like something Sybil does. She does it twice and she does it in big man as well, but she really yanks his uh, head back like hard, I think. And then shoves her, (laughs) kisses him hard. She kind of like throws her 
his lips on her lip. You know what I mean? I like how the scene is scripted because she kisses him and then she gets up, stands back and waits for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he does yeah. the same thing. And it's a really nice touch as they're bending over that he drops his cornet. Yes. You yes. can hear it going clunk. And, yeah, so she comes in, she kisses him hard and aggressively, stands back, and his hand goes slowly down her arm but then holds onto her hand. And her hand kind of pulls him up to a standing position. And then, oh, my gosh, yeah, he, I mean, talk about rewinding and watching again and again. <laughs> The kiss, the touching, he digs his nails into her back and she's caressing the back of his head and he leans her back. He drops his horn. They come back up and they're still kissing. Yeah. I, like you said, we get our money's worth on that one. Like very hot. It prolonged yeah. three-part kiss. Thank you, Moonlighting Gods, for this kiss. <laughs> and the sexy music too in the background. I'm assuming it's a sax, but then it could be just his, you know, cornet. I don't know. But um, usually when there's sexy music, it's a saxophone. <laughs> yeah. But the yeah, music really, in the background is really good. Yep. Sexy saxophone. And uh, we fade to black, darn it. That could have continued for another minute or so. Would have been nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I want to see a little more. And then they have a lovely scene where... They're sitting in bed after having their way with each other. And Rita and, tells the story of her life. Yeah. And they're both in focus. Do you notice that? It's kind of a, I think I saw an interview with Jerry Finneman. It's called like a split diameter or something like that. They had to use some special lens to get them both in focus. Like she's in the background, but they're both in focus with some like camera trick. Yes. That he, yes. Yeah. Now that you mention it, you're right. Because normally they've always got this thing where the person in front is in focus or they switch it. Oh. Yeah. They're both in focus. So it's a beautiful shot. And I also love this because, you know, in a way it kind of harkens to, you know, a little foreshadowing of what's to come later when these characters with the, uh, her sitting in bed with only the sheet on her wrapped in a sheet. He's uh, a little more dressed, but yeah, he's just smoking a cigarette. She's drinking her drink. And yeah, we hear more about Rita's life. But when you think about it, he's wearing the same similar thing. He's wearing a, I call them the truck drivers singlet um, and his shorts. And that's what he was wearing in that scene as well. Right. She tells him the story of her life, of how she met Jerry and she was in this small town and he walks into the kitchen and that's where you notice, you know, he says, why don't you leave him? You can see the holes in his socks. And then it goes back to Sybil and she says, are you kidding? Now, I don't know if you've noticed why this happened. I don't know, but I've got a feeling they weren't there at the same time. He walks into the kitchen and goes back to Sybil and she says are you kidding you know how hard it is for a woman so forth back to him again he walks in the kitchen and then she walks in after him and there's a split in the frame and it's Mm -hmm. not at the same time so it's not like they were filming him he walks in and she walks in after him he walks in and then the frame sort of it sort of um moves a little bit yeah, it, I know it jumps. It's like it jumps together. Yeah, and then yeah. she walks in. So obviously that was done at a at a different time. There's a bit of an explanation for that when you watch the commentary. It sounded like from what they were saying that Sybil was being difficult and taking too long to walk in the frame, and they I think they had to cut the time down. So I I don't know I don't know the details, but I think she was there and she did walk in after him. It's just. There was something happening on set that day. Oh, and okay. I yeah, know, I haven't heard yeah you have to listen to the commentary. They allude to like something about she didn't 
I don't know what she didn't like. She didn't like something anyway. And mm-hmm. she took forever to walk in and they had to cut the frame down. Okay. So I think that they ex- were both there. Okay. Yeah. Well, that explains why I can see. It's very obvious. It's it's quite obvious. I know it is. Yes, it's a, yeah. I mean, that said, I guess that day's technology, you know, like the, you'd never even see that these days. Mm. I really like the nice touch of the props department did a great job in putting old style things like the old combustion stove in the corner. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's really good. And that's when she and, brings up murdering Jerry. And yeah, her wrapped in the sheet. It's very, I am curious, Maddie. She's wrapped in a sheet a few times in this series. Um, someone must have mm-hmm. had a fetish for a woman wrapped in a, a bed sheet. <laughs> <laughs> now, one kind of cool thing that we've discovered, I think it was Virginia. She's another girl that makes uh, the moon landing videos that I actually learned from her. She lightened this scene. So when Sybil takes the glass out of Bruce's hand, swigs it, and then presses her lips on him. If you lighten the scene a little bit, you can see her lipstick is on his neck. Yes. I didn't actually write that down, but I noticed that all the time. Even though it's in black and white, you can see it. Yeah, Yeah, you can see it a little bit, but if you lighten it, you can really see that her full lips are on his neck. And then this whole putting her face on the other side of him, pulling his face close to her and grabbing the back of his hair again and squeezing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) pulling. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> again, that whole like, hair pulling thing that she does again, you know? But yes, you're right. She's mentioned in Killing Jerry. So she's kind of mixing like sex with murder mm. and kind of tempting him into the idea with seduction. Sounds like whatever Rita wants, Rita gets. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So we're back to him in the window again. and. It's a great shot through the window into the apartment and there's a mirror on the other side. So that's really well done. Yeah. So obviously two weeks have gone by and she hasn't mentioned it. She comes out of the kitchen looking amazing. And she's got got this gorgeous teddy on and she's got the ice and, oh, my God, it's so hot in here. How can you play that? How can you play that thing? She says, oh, I think it's time. And he says, hallelujah, because he thinks... Yeah, but that confuses me because it he makes it sound like they've never done it before. Yeah, like they haven't been screwing for the last two weeks nonstop. You know, that's what I (laughs) get anyway. I think that line is dubbed in. Also, I don't think his lips move on it. It's an overdub, and he says "Hallelujah." Maybe they just thought it would be funny in post, or you know, I mean, later. It's definitely an overdub. She talks about the um, getting the twenty thousand dollars 
from the insurance. They drop the ice, and I like how they <laughs> they put a sound effect in there when they fall down because they dong their heads together. Oh, <laughs> I know, I know, I love that too. That yeah, it becomes a little uh, slapstick all of a sudden with mm. them knocking their heads together, falling to the ground, and chasing the ice cube. Yeah, he said, I can't do that, Angel. I might be a wife stealer, a liar, a cheat, a show off. <laughs> she says, a bad dresser. <laughs> a bad dresser. But he's not. Look at that. He's not a bad dresser. He is at the moment, but. But he's got his cute little suspenders on it. I still, with holes and socks and all, still looks good to me. And he mentions we might have been dealt a bad hand. So he's talking poker again. <laughs> yeah. He's okay with stealing moments. Yeah, if that's all they have. You mean the answer's yes? Oh, yes, the answer's no. That's okay with me. Does that mean the answer is no? Yes. You mean yes, the answer is yes, or yes, the answer is no? What was the question? <laughs> I know. Go yeah, on. funny uh, clarification there. She's trying to talk him into the answer that she wants. She wants yes means yes. Yeah. Yes, the answer is yes. That's what she wants to hear. Yeah, she's really forcing his hand here by removing sex from the equation to get yeah. her way. Yes. But I knew she'd be back. She left her clothes behind. I know. And she sticks her hand in and he, he puts her pile of clothes on. Gets a little silly. But he's, uh, you know, he's adamant. I'm not interested in that. So sex doesn't work. She's going to find another way. And she sure did. So she gave him the cold shoulder, the cold everything, until she came in with a black eye one day. And then, you know, she's tugging right at his heartstrings. She's giving him a real reason to get rid of Jerry. Now, did Jerry do it or did she do it herself? That's a good question. I always kind of thought she did it herself or Jerry did it. Nah, I think I think it's manipulation. I think. Yeah, I think so. I uh, think she did it herself. Yeah. It's, it's a really good scene when she first turns around, the lighting and the music. So as soon as she turns around, there's this boom sort of music, you know, dramatizing her bruise. So then they start planning the murder and there's um, a wide shot of them walking away from the camera through the club. So they start planning the murder, what to wear, what to bring, and murder as in life, planning is everything. And big music. Uh, The next scene, we're back to this scene where the three of them are rehearsing together. Zach comes in now. His uber confidence has now turned to a bit of a nervous wreck. He comes in looking very like nervous and sheepish and she's very like adamant. Yes. So amazing what you can do with a character by posture, costume and voice. Zach's demeanor in this is demure. He's he's anxious. He's got this heavy breathing. He's full of fear. Mm-hmm. He's not knowing what's going to happen. I mean, really, he's scared out of his mind because you know what? Jerry could kill him. Yeah. Yeah. It could work the other way around. Or what if he chickens out, doesn't do it. And then Rita thinks of him as less of a man. He loses Rita. And yeah, Mm. he's like, he's sweating. You're right. Like costume, demeanor, voice. Totally being manipulated. One thing I noticed is at the beginning of this scene, it begins with the shadow of Rita dancing. Yeah. Yeah. So all you see is the movement of her dancing, which is a great start to the scene. Yeah, that's true. I wrote, yeah, she's happy. He's sweating. She's about to get what she wants. She's putting the instrument, the tool to kill him right in his hands. She's making him do it. And the lighting on her face is very cold, isn't it? Thing. Yeah. Very yeah. brightly lit on her face. And she yeah. signals to the clarinet he doesn't do it. She grabs it, gives it to him, and really doesn't want to do it. And, nope. yeah, and then 
you see him almost kill Jerry. You don't actually see, I don't think you see it fully, but you hear it. Um, yeah. You hear it. And it was a great effect to make Jerry fall to the ground with his eyes open. Right. Sybil does the perfect, like, evil, like he says, the damnedest coldest smile on her face. Oh, the Black Widow. <laughs> yeah. And the lighting was, the angle was kind of from below, wasn't it? And the lighting, her face looked gray. Yeah. It was just such a cold. The effects of the lighting was amazing. And the expression on her face, oh, perfect. She just got her way and she's going to, you know, as I said before, she chews them up, spits them out. And that's exactly what she's going to do. And the music too, how it rises when all this happens. Zach's saying she was, I looked up and she had the coldest smile I've ever seen. The next scene, it goes straight to her singing and she's happy as Larry. Oh my gosh, she is. A, yeah, she's on cloud nine. It's she's like gotten Christmas. what she wanted. Yeah, she's, husband's gone. She's free. She's got Zach to do it. Got every reason to be happy. Yeah, and she's got $20,000. Woohoo! thousand dollars yes i mean 1940s she's rich but poor zach is looking up at the catwalk and he's sweating and he's drawing his brow and he's oh my god oh my he, gosh, can't, yeah. he can't even play his instrument yes his, his instrument is <laughs> of no use one thing i noticed too is her gloves are back up where they should be oh uh, okay okay yeah. yeah she's just happy and everything and then of course when the body falls the best part is zach can't scream so the instrument screams for him. Yes. You can't have Bruce Willis screaming. No, that just wouldn't be right. That's blasphemy. We can't do that. <gasps> Bruce Willis screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Jerry falls. Now, if you have a really good look at this when the item yeah. falls, yeah, the arm flops. And you can see the arm go like this. Sorry, listeners, you don't know what I'm doing. But if you watch it, <laughs> slow-mo. The body drops and the arm flips up. It's so funny. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. That's great. So the next scene, he's walking the streets. He doesn't know what to do. He can't believe what he's done. How is he supposed to be feeling? And you've got all the signs going over his head. And, and that's an homage to these old movies that used to do that as well. He even calls it out. How long are these signs going to float over my head? Yeah, They're very much uh, referencing at the moment. And... I really like this bar he goes into. The front is all open. It's like it's almost outside. Really mm. nice setup. The bartender is hilarious in this. Oh, my gosh, I know. Okay, so this guy, his name was Freeman King, and he was an actor and a writer, and he was known for doing Lionheart in 1990, Fletch in 1985, and To Protect and Serve in 1992. I couldn't find out much more about him, but that's Freeman King, who's the bartender. Yeah, I love uh, his role in this mouthy guy. It's like he knows what Zach is thinking and he's yeah. just responding to his thoughts. It was a really funny scene. Yes, that was really good. And also the lighting on them was the half face lit, half face not lit as well. Sound like a setup to me. All women are the same. You can't trust them. You're wrong about that. I trust Rita. I have to trust her, right? I just killed a guy for her. I don't know, man. Sound like a setup to me. Thanks for the drink. Mouthy guy. Yeah, it is like the bartender knows, you know, is reading him perfectly. So he walks out of the bar and then they show the newspaper headlines saying that there was a tragic accident at the Flamingo Cove. 
it's really good how Bruce narrates this episode. You can tell the feeling comes out of it. It's, it's really good narration. And then you see the newspaper again saying, no, it was no accident. (laughs) (laughs) It was an accident. It was no accident. (laughs) Did the governor call? The governor didn't call. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So he was supposed to get a reprieve from the governor and he didn't get that. I think this is mentioned in the commentary that his prison number on his shirt when he's in prison is 08069, which is the postcode for New Jersey. Yeah, right. I knew that was some reference to home, but I I couldn't remember what it was. So yes, thanks for reminding me. I remembered it was a postcode, but I wasn't sure. So I looked it up and it comes up New Jersey. Yeah, that's a cool little touch. Didn't you know you can't dream your own death? Didn't you know there's (laughs) a new rule? (laughs) Yeah. Now, one thing that absolutely cracks me up about this scene is when they walk him into that room to put him in the chair, there is a sign on the wall. That says, last one out, please shut off the lights. Oh, my gosh, I know. So silly. And at the electric chair. The electric chair. Oh, my God. That sounds like Glenn to me. Sounds like Glenn to me. Any last words? um, Um, He says, says, any requests, my son? The long version of Stairway to Heaven? (laughs) Any last requests, my son? The long version of Stairway to Heaven. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. And then we see Rita's gloved diamond hand, you know, fur coat and all. Pull that lever. She's done him in, just like Zach did Rita in in in, uh, the first version. So tell us about the priest. With the priest, his name is Nick DeMauro, and He's known for doing Hard to Kill in 1990, NYPD Blue in 93. He was in Brooklyn Nine-Nine in 2013. It looks like his career started in 84 in Hill Street Blues, and he was just credited as being a man. So I don't remember him in an episode. Um, Surprisingly, he was in Remington Steel. And Cheers, Moonlighting. He played, yeah, I remember this. He played a locksmith in Colombo and he did six episodes of Webster. He did an episode of China Beach with Dana and he did seven episodes of Matlock. And in 1996, he did one episode of Sybil. Really? Yeah, in the episode called The Big Apple Can Bite Me. (laughs) And 2005, he did Without a Trace and 2014 Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So it looks like the last thing he did was in 2016. So that was the priest, if anybody recognises him. Okay. One thing I forgot to mention was I didn't talk about the policeman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll quickly talk about the policeman. His name is Francis X. McCarthy. Looks like he's actually still working. His career goes back to 79. Um, but I'll just tell you what he's mainly known for. From 83 to 85, he played Father Lindsay Flynn in St. Elsewhere. 21 Jump Street, Jake and the Fat Man. He did seven episodes of Melrose Place. He did several episodes of NYPD Blue and CSI New York. Looks like the last thing he did was 2019. But he's mainly known for Man with Two Brains in 83, Basketball <laughs> in 1998, and Interstellar in 2014. Ooh. That's our Lieutenant Matthews. Okay, so where were we? Just at the very end when uh, 
Rita pulls the lever and then that wakes David up from his dream. Okay, so there's a goof here. What happens, there's a close-up. You see her pull the lever down. Yes. You see the arm pull the lever down. Now, (laughs) I think that's quite appropriate, actually, because it's like she's pulling a lever at the casino and she's just won $20,000. But anyway. Yeah. (laughs) In that scene, she's wearing a diamond bracelet in that close-up, the person who's pulling the lever. But then when they do the shot of Sybil pulling it down, she's not wearing the bracelet. Oh, really? Okay. And it's a real shame, this scene, when you see Sybil pulling the lever, she is in the most beautiful outfit. I know. Really dressed like the Black Widow. She's wearing a black hat, a brooch, and she's wearing this big fur over her shoulders. Really appropriate. It's a shame we only see it for a couple of seconds. I agree. Beautiful outfit. And, yeah, it's only on screen for a couple of seconds, yeah. It's amazing. They have to go to all this effort for all these costumes and then you just see them for a split second. Yeah, I know. It's just crazy. It's almost like she's gotten the money and she spent some money because she's got like diamonds and furs and yeah, she's kind of like living, living the life now. All right. So David wakes up, he picks up the phone and he looks up and goes, NEM, Uncle Henry. Yeah. So it's a whole Wizard of Oz reference. Yes. And the phone is going, which was what would happen when you left the phone off the receiver for too long. Those of you who weren't around pre-cell phone. That's right. And it's a shame now, if you don't have a house phone, you've already got a mobile phone. It's no fun anymore hanging up a phone, is it? You can't slam that phone down. You can't slam the phone down. You'll crack the glass on your mobile phone. I know. Maddie wouldn't have survived. (laughs) No, absolutely not. We're back at Blue Moon. And it looks like she's coming out of her bathroom doing her lipstick. Yeah. And she's really curious as to what he's been thinking about with regards to their disagreement the previous day. And I just love the narration here, how they're... (laughs) (laughs) How would they have done that? I mean, it's like you have to stand there and make out you're thinking about something and nod your head and not say Mm -hmm. anything. And they're both talking, but not talking. It's (laughs) it's so good. But, you know, we all do that in real life. Someone's telling you something and you're like thinking Mm -hmm. something else in your mind, but you're nodding but you're just <laughs> nodding you're being polite you're being diplomatic as yeah, we- you know given the day before when they got in that big fight they just want to make nice they would just want to move on with their day they both had their dreams they both really know what happened they've got their own answers and that's all there is to it maddie's thinking he took advantage of a good woman and he's thinking she sold him down the river yep the only thing that annoys me about this scene is her shirt lapel oh what If you have a look at it, one lapel is folded and the other one isn't. Oh, really? Mm. I'll have to look at it. And it's through the whole scene because when I first noticed it, I thought, oh, I bet you the next cut, it'll be folded back. But no, the whole scene, her, see, one lapel's like this and one's Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, have a look. (laughs) (laughs) It does my head in every time I watch it. Again. What happened during this little time frame? I mean, not that they're not beautiful before this, but again, in this little scene, they both look so gorgeous. Her hair, mm, like perfect. Yep. His yep. eyes are so green, the lighting, whatever, like whatever colors they're wearing and how their hair is and everything, how it's put together. The hotness in this episode and like every part of it, it's just gone up a level completely. They just both, again, look so beautiful. 
here at the end. Yeah. He looks so handsome. She looks so beautiful. And it's a time in the series where they're just so good looking. They very much match in beauty, I would say. Yeah. And yeah. it's not always like that. I mean, before and after, because I think he started off, his look was a bit goofy. And yes. this is when he's kind of stepping into. It's um, a more mature David, as in yeah. not mature as in personality. <laughs> but mature as in physical features. Yeah, exactly. Yes. His looks are starting to mature and she's so beautiful anyway. And this, I think, crosses us into, because the next episode is My Fair David. We've stepped into full moonlighting with this episode. Yeah. We can just really see the maturity in in so many ways. Interesting to see that transition. And it was a good ending. She says, animal. And he says, sexist. Her fantastic sigh at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so a really classic go-to episode of Moonlighting. As you said, it's a comfort one we go to when we just want to grab a big bucket of popcorn and a Coke maybe and just sit there and watch a real classic episode of Moonlighting full of murder, suspicion, That's- great outfits, 40s big bands, a cornet player with an attitude and the music so good. Mm-hmm. And um, Glenn did say that one was the Warner Brothers black and white and the other one was the MGM. He reckons one's more high gloss, I guess. Yeah, high gloss, I think, was symbols and the grittier Warner Brothers, I think he said, was um, David's. To me, I don't notice as much of a difference. But, but you know, like he said, they went a bit nuts with it all. You know, he went to extremes. He had a real clear vision. They all pull it together and they pulled up this wonderful episode and... What's not to love? You know, it's uh, like you say, a real episode, so easy to escape into. Yeah, you don't have to follow the normal storyline of Moonlighting. It's a standalone episode. And for those of you who haven't listened, if you're new to Moonlighting or if you haven't listened to any of the commentaries, they were having a little bit of difficulty developing the film because it was done on these old cameras and it was done in black and white, and it had to be processed to be developed. A lot of companies wouldn't take the liability of developing it in case it didn't work. Scary. Um, and then eventually Glenn got a company to take the liability to develop the film. So thank God it all went well, because if we had have lost this footage, oh, it would have been devastating yeah. for them anyway. It really is a classic hour of television in general. Mm in the span of time of television in general, it's a classic standalone episode. It's one that holds up to the best of them. And having Orson Welles do the introduction. Oh my gosh, I know. It was just so appropriate for the episode because that was his genre. That was his era. Yeah. He lived for cinema. Too bad. Like, I don't think he ever saw the episode, but I think he would have loved it. That's a very interesting point. Yeah. I don't think he would have ever seen it. Yeah. By the time it aired or maybe the day it aired, he died or something like that. Now, Grace, a couple uh, questions outside of this. There are a lot of pictures of this episode, you know, of them filming the episode. And there's a couple missing. Yeah, it's like they filmed scenes and there are outfits that Bruce and Sibler are in and there are kisses, most importantly, that were missing. So I wonder, there must have been some, I wonder like how it was re- reworked or where those scenes would have fit in or, you know, these are some of the things when we talk about, like, we want to see some of the lost footage, the dream sequence footage. There's, I think a lot there that we could look at because 
yeah, I mean, come on, missing costume changes and missing kisses. There's like, there's whole scenes missing. That means then to me. Yeah. yeah. So there's that photo. She's wearing a black dress with the floral. There's some flowers yeah. or something. And they have the most passionate kiss I've ever seen in yeah. this photo. Yet yes. It's not in the episode. He's got her backed up against a column. All oh, right. Yep. And they're, yeah, kissing very passionately. And there's um, many pictures of this kiss and then looks like that more than one take. And she's wearing that beautiful dress and he's wearing this outfit. And yeah, I just wonder where that would have fit into the storyline and what was missing or they had to rework something maybe. Or or maybe if something was deleted or maybe it was just done as a publicity photo, would they have done that? Yeah, I guess could be. Yeah, it's kind of fun to look at the behind the scenes photos of this one. And you can see the, the colors of her dress, like the dress with the sparkles is pink, isn't it? Like a bright pink when yes. you see it in color. Yes. And then the other dress, there's one dress where it's it's like a beige color. Mm. And it all kind of goes with like what colors look good when you change them to black and white. A lot goes into that too. Like certain colors look better when they're switched to black and white. Mm. I think they were talking about that in the commentary and stuff like that. So uh, I guess it was, must have been Robert Turteris yeah. with the costuming and probably hired people that had more of an expertise in 1940s oh, yeah, and all that. Definitely. Yeah. Beautiful episode. So, Shauna, is this episode in your top 10? Oh, definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Very much. How about you? Yes, this episode is definitely in my top 10. How could it not be, really? So. How many costume changes? For her? Yes, I didn't count them for him. Sorry, sorry, Bruce. Let me go through them and you can see if my number comes out correctly. Okay. At the theater um, and in the car, she's got one outfit and then she um, is home. Then, okay, so that's one. The second one is her as Rita in a dress. Then she switches to the Diamond D costume dress um, when she's singing. Yeah. Then she's wearing the button-up shirt that has her initials on it when they come in after their two weeks tryst. So that's four. Then five, when they go to kill Jerry. Six, when she's home morning. Seven, when they take her out to the car. Then the floral dress she's wearing at the beginning of Zach's dream, that's eight. And then she's got the black uh, slick dress, that's nine. Then she's wearing bedsheet. Did you count the bedsheet? Yeah, I did. That's 10. And then she is in the dress where she comes to him in the window. And then she's got the the teddy on. That's 12. And then she's got another dress on when she has a black eye. Another one when they kill Jerry. That's 14. And then the fur coat, 15. I'm going to say 16. Hmm, I counted 15. What about the outfit at the end? What about the fur coat? I counted that. This is what I've got. Okay. She had the pink suit at the start. Then she had the beige dress. Well, we know it's beige, but you can't tell, right? Um, Then we had the glittery dress outfit. Yeah. What about the outfit for the first kiss when she has a hat on and stuff like that? I think that's another outfit that we have on the stairs outside. Oh, okay. This is what I've got. The pink suit at the start, the the beige dress when she's um, with Jerry. Then she puts the glittery outfit on. And then she's got the dress when they first kiss, then she's got a skirt and top when he Mm -hmm. says, Hey, doll face. Then she's got a a white dressing gown and she's crying on the couch. Then she's got a dressing gown. Another one when he drops her in, then she's got a black dress on. Then she wears the strapless black dress. Then she wears the sheet. Then she wears the Teddy. 
Then she wears the dress with a sash when she's got the black eye. And then she's got the patterned black dress on when, you know, when she says start the record over. Then she wears a strapless dress again. I don't think I counted that twice. Then she's got the fur outfit when she pulls the lever and then the white suit. I'd have to go through again. I've got 15. Yeah, 15 or 16. Yeah. There's 15 or 16. Unbelievable. 15 or 16 outfit changes for this episode. Wow, yeah. All in the 40s style and all of that. So, yeah, they had quite a wardrobe. Amazing. And budget. Yeah, and, really amazing. And we had three door slams entering Blue Moon and then she entered her office and then she slams a door at her home. Three door slams and two phone slams. <laughs> two phone slams. Oh, sorry. I've got to add them now. Do I have to add them in now too? <laughs> I um, think so. I think it's another thing to keep track of because I think it oh happens. You're killing me. You're killing me. Um, <laughs> Agnes has no rhymes. Bruce does not sing, but he whistles. And uh-huh. we have no feet out of the elevator. And the music featured, obviously, was Blue Moon by Lawrence Hart and Richard Rogers. And I Told You I Love You, Now Get Out by Herb Ellis, Lou Carter and Johnny Frigo. A wonderful 11th episode of Moonlighting. Yes, gosh, only 11 episodes in and they have an episode like that. It's amazing. So the Moonlight stats. So far, we have five door slams. We have four feet out of the elevator. So far, we have six rhymes from Agnes. But believe it or not, we have not had a rhyme from Agnes since the murders in the mail. Yeah, I I feel like uh, they could have used at least a little bit more in this episode or, I mean, God, if Bert was in it, you know what I mean? I don't know. They could have added a little humor with them or whatever. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's surprising that we haven't had a, a rhyme from Agnes in that long. That's too bad. Yeah, she had a rhyme in the pilot, gunfight, read the mind, see the movie, but she didn't rhyme at all in the next murder you hear. Then in yeah. Next Stop Murder, she rhymes twice. And then the murders in the mail, there was one rhyme. And since then, we have not had a rhyme from Agnes. Surprising. It's now time for Moonlight Trivia. I think we both know this episode so well, but you're going to ask me some crazy ass <laughs> <laughs> details, aren't you? My first question is, what police station did Lieutenant Matthews belong to? Hmm, good question. The fifth precinct. No. If you blinked, you missed it. He did mention it when he came to see um, Rita. And I'm trying to remember what he said. Oh, what did he say? So, um, Century City or something? I don't know. what. It's when um, Agnes answers the door to him in the first half. Yeah. Right. I missed it. What did he say? He says, oh, I'm Lieutenant Matthews from Elliott Police Station. Oh, Elliott Police Station. That's mm. weird. Yeah, it is weird. Number two, what was Elise Beasley's name in the black and white part of the show? Mm, My gosh. Good questions. Damn it. Rita does mention it when she hands her the pills. Yeah. She's like, thanks. So she was, um, Doris? No. God. I, I missed, I, I didn't even pay attention to her. Yeah, her name is Myrna. Myrna. She says, thanks, good. Myrna. Thanks, Myrna. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Good questions. Things I missed. Okay. When Lieutenant Matthews visits Rita's apartment to arrest her, there are flowers near the door. What type of flowers are they? Hmm. Probably something symbolic. No. Carnations. 
No, they're gladiolas. Oh, gosh. Mm. I don't even know what a gladiola looks like. <laughs> I got one more just in case you doubled up or something. There are two items in the split screen scene, try saying that three times, <laughs> on David's desk. What are they? David's desk. He's got a Rolodex. He's got one of those, that weird pen hand thing. He's got a pen and he's got. You're probably right, but these are items that I didn't look at. (laughs) Oh my God. Always has that like weird pen hand thing on there and like the Rolodex and gosh, what would be on there in the 19? Um, A clock. He's got a little clock. The usual thing, you know, the magnifying glass. Yeah, I think the thing next to it is a letter opener. I'm not sure. A letter opener, okay. Your turn, Shauna. All right. I failed miserably, even though I've seen that episode a million times, you know. You see that how much detail you can miss. The very, 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 very first scene when we see Maddie and David coming through the door, there's some graffiti written on the window. What does the graffiti say? Yes, I noticed that. If I wrote it down, <laughs> because I paused it, I paused it, and I'm like, "What does that say?" <laughs> See? Oh no, honestly, I didn't write it down, but I remember it said something rules. Yeah, you want me to tell you? Yeah, tell me because I couldn't. It says Duke rules. Yeah, Duke. which now when we were watching it. The Duke, Lady Day, like um, he mentions, I guess it's like a jazz reference or something. I just put that two and two together as we were discussing or watching or something. The Duke, Lady Day, whatever he says. And Glenn Miller. Yeah, so he mentions the Duke. So someone must have written Duke rules on the door. So, okay, that was one. Um, Another one, Bruce Willis in this season of Moonlighting wears a ring on his pinky, okay, that disappears by season three. But in, in this episode, he's not wearing his pinky ring. He's wearing another ring. What finger and what does it look like in the first part? Yeah, I think he just wears it on the fourth finger. I think it's a big stone of some sort. Is yeah, it a it dark like, color? looks like a duck. To me, it looked kind of like a diamond ring or something oh, like that. Okay. But yes, I remember right. it being a bulky type thing, but I didn't take much notice of it. So he's taken off the pinky ring for this episode and he's put on a ring on his fourth finger. Yeah. That kind of sparkles a little bit, kind of like a man's ring. Yeah. Kind of thing. I got a little lazy with the trivia. I have to say so many other things to pay attention to. How many buttons does Rita? (laughs) You're desperate now, girlfriend. (laughs) In the very last scene, Maddie's holding a makeup mirror. What color is it? I don't know. What? Green. Green. Wow. There's that brand Clinique. Oh, yes. It's like that color. I think it might be Clinique. I'm not sure, but yeah. I was busy looking at her lipstick, not the actual mirror. Yeah, yeah. There you Very go. Very good. Threw one in at the last minute. And you scored. <laughs> it's now time for Moonlight Mail. All right, everyone. We've got some fabulous Moonlight Mail. And please, everyone, if you have stories and memories of your time with Moonlighting, whether you watched it when it originally aired or if you're a new fan, tell us your memories of Moonlighting at fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. Please send us your emails. We love to hear stories. And you know, many times we can all relate to the, the stories that we hear from each other. 
So we have a, a letter from Dennis. And Dennis says, I remember how excited I was in early 2000 when Bravo started showing Moonlighting from the beginning. I recorded on his VCR, he puts a, a laughing face, every episode. And it was so cool watching them again as an adult, as I was in elementary and middle school when the show first came out. I picked up on a lot more of the jokes this time around and a couple more smiley faces. So yeah, I think we can all relate to that. How we didn't always get the jokes. We're still not always getting the jokes these days. Yeah, well, we're still working on them. Thanks for that email, Dennis. That's great. And Dennis is a quite an active member in our community. So thanks, Dennis, for that. Yeah, great interacting with you on the in the Facebook groups. All right, we've got another one from Danielle. Hi, Grace and Shauna. Here are some of my memories. I remember being 12 and having my whole moonlighting viewing ritual. Every Tuesday night, especially when there was a new episode, um, which was like Super Bowl for me, Who's the Boss and Growing Pains were like the pregame show before the main event when Moonlighting came on at nine. At 8.50, I would make sure my VCR was set in the living room. I taped all the episodes and then turned my bedroom TV on because I liked to watch the show by myself so I could totally engage. My mom liked it too, but she would watch in the living room and at the half hour commercial and at the end of the show, she would indulge me and compare notes about what we had seen, LOL. I also remember on Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m., the commercial on Good Morning America would be for the ABC shows that night. I would wait for that commercial to see the moonlighting preview and then run out to the bus stop. Thursdays were TV Guide in the Mail Day. I remember those days. I got the mail after school and would go through the TV Guide to see if there was a print ad or anything about the show in the little news sections. I would do the same. I was a ski racer and I traveled with some of my tapes. I remember being 13 and up in Lake Placid training when there were teen Austrian ski jumpers staying at the same training center. They watched Bride of Tupperman and loved it. They could barely speak English, but laughed super hard at that episode. A more modern memory, later in 1999, I started virtual moonlighting. I got a few other ladies and it grew into like an eight season endeavor with a whole fan fiction community now. Oh, wow. It's very cool that our collective memories have led us to this and we are able to enjoy this amazing show all these years later in whatever capacity. Thanks for doing this podcast, Danielle. Oh, that's so great, Danielle. Thank you so much for starting that fan fiction community. That's amazing. I'm definitely part of that. I've got my stories up there on the fanfiction.net. I don't know if that's where Danielle's are, but yes, I love how we all contribute in our own way. Yes, thank you, Danielle. I just love hearing all the different stories that people have, their memories, and um, people are still mad moonlighting fans. And I don't think Glenn would have ever realised the longevity of, of moonlighting. It's 37 years later and people are still talking about it. And um, it's a common theme with the TV guide arriving in the mail and people recording it on their VCRs and checking the guide to make sure it wasn't a repeat, things like that. It's just great. So thanks, Danielle, for that email. So, Shauna, what episode are we going to be talking about next week? And we've got another classic Moonlighting episode in My Fair David, Season 2, Episode 5. Yes, My Fair David is the 12th episode of Moonlighting, which was directed by Will McKenzie and guest starring Barbara Bain. So I'm really looking forward to it. That's going to be so much fun. Well, until next time, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to, to Moonlighting, Moonlighting the Podcast.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.